Today's passage is from Mark 14, verses 32 through 42. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. So this is Jesus and his followers, excluding Judas. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping. For their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came a third time to them and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. My betrayer is at hand. So, Isaac, come up and share with us. Good afternoon. Good to see you all. Isn't it a privilege that we get to come every week and look at God's Word and study it together? It really is just an awesome opportunity that we have. God's word is, is so powerful. We have the promise that it will not return void and that it will penetrate into our hearts and our lives. And sometimes that can be painful, but it is always good. And also God's word is beautiful. It is really amazing how we get to see how God's word just works through history and then also works into our lives as well. But a question to you all though is how does the passage here today, how is it beautiful? How is the suffering of Christ beautiful? How is it powerful in each of our lives? I wonder what was going through your, your head or just feelings that you had as Hans was reading the passage. I wonder if you had feelings of anger towards the disciples for not staying awake when Jesus asked them to. When Jesus was in such suffering, they couldn't stay awake. They couldn't even wait for one hour. Maybe you had just sadness as you saw your Savior, Jesus, um, just pouring out his soul to the Father. Or maybe, um, instead of maybe feeling sadness or anger, maybe you were distracted. Maybe you were thinking about something else. Maybe you were thinking about what you're going to eat for dinner. Maybe you were thinking about, oh, I wanted to talk to that one person after the service. I need to do that. Um, maybe you just didn't care. Maybe you're here and you're like, oh, I'd rather not be here. Um, 
I would encourage each of us to really care. This is Jesus Christ, the, the God-man, who is suffering so deeply that he is sweating drops of blood. And so I would, I would encourage us all, challenge us all, to, for the next half hour or so, just to wrestle with this passage. Maybe there's questions that you have about the passage. Um, write those down. If, if you have the bulletin, there's an area there to, to, to take notes. Uh, I'd encourage you to do that. If that's something that, that would be helpful for you. Um, but really engage the passage. Really ask yourself, what does this mean and what does this mean for me? Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us do that. Dear Lord, your word is wonderful. It is beautiful, powerful. You're faithful in all that you do and say. Lord, incline our hearts to your word. Or may we see it for what it is. May you change us through it. Lord, I pray that we would come humbly. We would ask you to work in our hearts. Um, Keep us attentive to what you have to say. And Lord, I pray that you would get the glory. That's all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so um, if what, um, I think if we want to go to the next slide here. All right, so th this is kind of the, the agenda or what, how we're going to break down the, um, our time here looking at this text. So first we're going to look at the setting. Secondly, we're going to look at the agony of Christ, his prayer, the sleeping disciples, and then we're going to conclude with application. What does this mean for me? My goal is to really try to show the stark contrast that we see between Jesus suffering, just pouring out his soul before his Father, and the disciples who are sleeping. And in doing that, and hopefully seeing that contrast, uh, my, my main point will be Jesus' will submitted to the Father's will, brings hope to the weak-willed, and calls us to wake up. Jesus' will, submitted to the Father's will, brings hope to the weak-willed, and calls us to wake up. Let's start with the setting. Hans kind of helped us out already a little bit, but um, you'll see that, if we go to the next slide, that they're coming to Gethsemane, and where did they come from? Well, if you were here last week, Aaron preached on uh, the disciples and Jesus taking uh, the Passover together in the city, in Jerusalem. So they're coming from Jerusalem, they're coming out of the city, and they're going up to the Mount of Olives. And um, as they're doing that, to, to the Mount of Olives, they're coming to Gethsemane. Um, and also one other note of context, if you remember, or if you're in your Bibles, right before this, there's an interaction between Jesus and Peter and, and the rest of the disciples. Jesus is telling him, hey, this is pretty much it. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die, but then you need to go to this place. That's where I'm going to meet you. And Peter says, well, well no, I am not going to deny you. I am going to be there with you no matter what. Even if you die, I will die with you. So that, that's the immediate context. I also want to note just maybe a little bit of the, the bigger context here. And I want to note that we've been um, looking at this section of Mark since the triumphal entry since November of last year. 
and um, as we were kind of working slowly through, through this uh, section of Mark. But all this has happened in like the same week of Jesus' life. He's been in, in Jerusalem for about five days teaching. Uh, the, the Jewish leaders have been getting increasingly hostile and uh, they're intending on uh, killing him, which we're going to see next week. So this is the, both the immediate context, a little bit of the bigger context. Uh, just want to make a note on the location as well. So Gethsemane, a lot of times we hear like the garden, uh, but it's not necessarily the garden as you would think of maybe like a vegetable garden or a flower garden. This is more of an orchard. And as you see kind of on that picture there, uh, that, that's a um, olive tree. And so the, the area that Jesus is right now, so if you just kind of picture it, picture Jesus in this place. As we know from Luke, he, he comes here, he's come here often. He's in this orchard, if you will, um, and this is where he wants to be with his father. He wants to pray. He wants to pour out his heart. Um, and then also in these, in these first couple of verses, as we look at the setting, we see that Jesus is telling his disciples, sit here while I pray. Then he goes a little bit further with his three closer disciples. And as I was looking at this passage, I was like, why does Jesus do that? Why does he separate? Why doesn't he just kind of say, okay, guys, we're going to pray now. Let's, let's all, you know, bow our heads and we're going to pray about what's going to come. Um, why does he separate? And then he again separates from those three and goes even further to pray. Um, and one thing that came to mind was, I think this shows Jesus' humanity as well. Think about when maybe you have gone through a really hard time, a really a time where it's just difficult and, and you're in this, a sorrow or turmoil. You don't necessarily want to be with a lot of people. Um, you want to be with people that are close to you who maybe understand. Um, and so I think we see Jesus doing that to some degree here. And then a note on the structure of the passage. We see that there's three times that Jesus goes and prays and three times that his disciples fail to stay awake and watch and pray. If we can go to the next slide, we're going to, start look, we're going to look at um, the next couple of verses and focus on the agony of Christ. And Jesus began to be greatly distressed and troubled, and he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed. So I want to settle in to this passage, these couple of verses here, for um, a little longer. And hope that we can understand just a little bit of the, the distress that Jesus is feeling. The Greek word here gives us the sense of alarm or a sense of heaviness, kind of like there's a weight just a burden that he's feeling. In Luke 22, a parallel passage, we see that Jesus was in such intense sorrow that he was sweating drops of blood. So this should be a bit striking as, as, as we see this. Wow, Jesus is really in some intense internal turmoil. And I was thinking, how, how can we understand? How can I explain or, or, or help us get our mind around what this intense sorrow even unto death might, might be for Jesus? 
and nothing, no human experience seemed to really fit. I mean, I think many of us have gone through different struggles, different times when we've just felt really sorrowful, maybe really deep sorrows. But Jesus here is experiencing a, a sorrow that is much deeper than any of us have ever experienced. He is knowingly getting ready to suffer for the sins of all of his people. That is something none of us has ever experienced. And so the best way to consider what it might have been that was this weighing on Jesus is to consider some of the um, some of the weights, some of the factors that probably went into that. And so let's take a look at each of these different areas in a little bit more detail. So the physical pain, I think that's the one that probably comes to our mind most readily as we read this passage. We're probably thinking about what he's about to experience. The flogging, the crown of thorns, the, the crucifixion itself. Five to six hours of torture that he's going to go through. That in and of itself is, is reason to be in great distress. Just the physical pain that he's getting ready to go through. We know later on that he was even too weak to carry his, his cross all the way. John 19, I think, does, does a good job. If, if later on you want to just spend some time thinking about this and considering the physical agony that, that Jesus is going to be going through and that's on his mind. Secondly is, is the shame. And in the following chapter, in Mark, Mark 15, we're going to see that a little bit more. Um, I've taken different parts from, from verses 16 through 32. The whole battalion mocked him, and those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads. The chief priest with the scribes mocked him. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. Also we see that Jesus was spit on. And when he was on the cross, they said, he saved others, why can't he save himself? They were bringing into question the work that Jesus had done. Furthermore, in Deuteronomy, we know that it says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Now, you may be wondering, well, did Jesus really feel shame, though? Because in Hebrews, it says that he despised the shame. Well, I think that Jesus resisted that temptation to, to feel that shame, but was Jesus treated in a shameful way? Yes, he most definitely was. And so that could have also been a factor that, that was weighing on Jesus there in the garden. Thirdly, the abandonment. Jesus was abandoned by both his friends and God the Father. And even in the, the garden, we see a level of that abandonment. He has asked his friends to stay awake and pray. And do they stay awake and pray? No, they don't. And it wasn't just one time. It wasn't just like, okay, well, you know, you got sleepy, you fell asleep, okay. It was multiple times that they fell asleep. And then after this passage, we see that they completely abandon him and that they run away. But even worse than that is the Father's abandonment. Jesus Christ, when he's on the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I think that's something that 
is hard for us to get our mind around because Jesus Christ, God the Son, and God the Father eternally existing in perfect fellowship. And now there's going to be a separation, an abandonment from God the Father. I think that must have really weighed on Jesus heavily. Fourthly, the judgment. The judgment that Jesus would be taking for his people. The cup of wrath. So in in Jesus' prayer, he asks that if it's possible, the cup might pass from him. Well, this is the cup that uh, he's, he's referring to. It's a cup of judgment. And if you're familiar with the Old Testament, um, it pops up in different areas. It's, it's a pretty common theme. We see it in Zechariah, Habakkuk, Ezekiel, Lamentations, Jeremiah, Isaiah, and Psalms. So we see this picture of the cup of wrath often. And I want to take a look at Jeremiah 25. So there's a, there's a number of different areas that we could look at to help us understand what that cup of judgment meant or what that looked like. Uh, but I think that the passage in Jeremiah 25 helps us um, a lot. So in verse 15, it says, The Lord, the God of Israel, said to me, this is to Jeremiah, Take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. They shall drink and stagger and be crazed because of the sword that I'm sending among them. So we see here the cup of wrath. And what does that, what does that look like? What's the, excuse me. Um, if we go up a little bit earlier in that chapter, we get an understanding a little bit of what that, that cup of wrath, that judgment's looking like. In verse 9 it says, I will devote them to destruction and make them a horror, a hissing, an everlasting desolation. I will banish from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness. That's pretty bleak. That's uh, some pretty bleak judgment right there. So what, what does that mean um, for Jesus? I, I think that this cup of wrath that we deserve is what he's taking on. And it's hard to understand what that meant. I mean, for in, in Jeremiah and uh, the Old Testament, there was just like a lot of, you know, nation coming in, destroying another nation as, as part of that judgment. Well, what did that, that, that mean for Jesus? Well, I think a helpful way to maybe understand it is, well, what does the judgment, the wrath of God look like for us apart from Christ? Well, it means eternal eternal damnation in hell. It means eternal fire that, that, that we're in. Now, I don't understand completely what that was on Jesus Christ, but that intensity is what Jesus is suffering, what, he, what he's going to be suffering. The last element here is holding our sorrows. So if you remember... Um, in a complimentary text reading, Isaiah 53, says that surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Have you ever had a dear loved one who was going through a hard situation and you were distraught with them, you felt some of that, that pain? To some degree, 
you felt the pain that they were going through. I think Jesus did this fully and completely. Every grief, every sorrow of his people was laid on him. So think about all these different elements that, that are causing this kind of crushing weight, this sorrow that Jesus is experiencing here in the garden. So what does Jesus do with all of these sorrows, with his great distress? He takes it to the Father. He prays. He asks that the cup be taken away and that the hour would pass. Jesus is honest with the distress and the sadness that he's going through. This is Jesus. He's, he's God. And yet he is still pouring out with honesty the sorrow and the distress that he's going through. This request is striking because Jesus seems almost like he's asking for something that he knows can't be answered. He's told the disciples many times that he is going to die, that it is coming, and even that that's the, that's like the purpose for him coming is, is for, for his death. So what do we make of this request? How do we understand Jesus asking that if possible, he wouldn't have to experience this judgment, this cup of wrath? Well, I think that we have to remember that Jesus is both fully God and fully man. That means that he felt temptation, he felt pain, he felt sadness, just like we do. And these feelings are not sinful. It's what we do with those feelings that often leads us into to sin. Jesus, however, does not fall into temptation. He submits to the Father's will. And by submitting to the Father's will, he is strengthened. I think it's also important to note that, that Jesus, his prayer is not just once, but three times. He takes this to his Father three times. I'll kind of uh, circle back to that during ap the application section. So on the surface, it appears that Jesus' prayer is not answered. Right? He asks, if it's possible, please let this cup pass from me. But he did drink that cup, right? He did die on the cross. He did, for all those who repent and believe, he did suffer that judgment for us. So was his prayer answered? Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews 5.7. And I'll read it, but if you want to turn there, you sure can as well. Hebrews 5, verse 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. Sounds familiar? To him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. So was his prayer answered? I think the answer is yes. I think his prayer was answered. How was it answered? Well, I think it was answered in that he was saved from being defeated by death. He defeated death by not giving in to the temptation. Instead of death defeating him, he defeated death by drinking the cup of wrath for us. We see this in Acts 2. It says, For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. And this defeat of death comes in his submission to the Father's will. Jesus' distress was real and almost overwhelming, but it was his will submitted to the Father's that led to victory. 
Now, let's consider, in contrast, the weak will of the disciples. Go to the next slide, if you would, Luke. Sorry, next slide. All right, thanks. So the disciples. Jesus tells his three closest disciples to stay awake and watch twice, and then three times he comes and finds them sleeping. Now the word watch here, and I think I've highlighted it, we see it a number of times in this passage, is the Greek word Gregorio, and it's the idea of being alert and attentive, to be watchful and awake. Now if you've been with us as we've been traveling through Mark, this, may, this word may sound a little familiar. In Mark 13, Jesus also talks about being watchful, being awake. And I'm going to read from Mark 13. It says, this is Jesus talking as well. He says, But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey, when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. So in Mark 13, the, the focus is end times. You know, that's, that's how verse 32 starts, but concerning that day or that hour. But the, the, the proximity of this passage, and also given what Jesus has just told them to stay awake, the disciples should have had this admonition to stay awake fresh on their mind. Jesus had told them, stay awake, be alert. And they didn't. They fell asleep multiple times. Even when Jesus came back, said, can't you even stay awake for an hour? And they fell asleep over and over again. Years later, I wonder what the disciples felt when they thought back on that night. I wonder if that, the words from Jesus, so could you not watch with me one hour? I wonder if that haunted them. Like, oh, only I could have stayed awake and prayed. That was his last night before the cross. As he's praying, it's like 15 hours before he's crucified. It is just about to happen. And, and I couldn't. I want to read a quote from uh, Garrett Dawson. Christ's disciples through the centuries have felt their own similar weakness. We were not asked to carry the weight of sin or endure the cross, only to stay awake and keep him company. But we could not. Still we yearn to. Just reading these accounts, we are attempting to watch and pray with Jesus, to enter his agony and somehow share in a way that would bring him comfort. C.S. Lewis captures the true affection of those who love the Redeemer in a scene from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. The great lion Aslan has offered his life in exchange for the petulant schoolboy, Edmund, who had betrayed his siblings. On the night before Aslan is to be slain at the stone table, the two girls, Lucy and Susan, follow behind him, watching him, longing to comfort him. Filled with sadness, the lion allows the children to accompany him a while. 
Forward they went again, and one of the girls walked on each side of the lion. But how slowly he walked, and his great royal head drooped so that his nose nearly touched the grass. Presently he stumbled and gave a low moan. Aslan, dear Aslan, Lucy said. Excuse me. Aslan, dear Aslan, Lucy said. What is wrong? Can't you tell us? Are you ill, dear Aslan? asked Susan. No, said Aslan. I am sad and lonely. And in the, in the in the story, the the two girls, um, they they do lay their hands on Aslan. He's like, please put your hands here and comfort me. But that's not the case with Jesus. His disciples were not there to comfort him. And neither were we. And I think about how, um, in so many ways, we're like the disciples. We, we are not there for Jesus. Um, we're asked to stay awake and to be there, um, and we don't. And, and I think that um, maybe some of you, um, maybe he, younger in your, in your faith, I think maybe like, well, I could have stayed there. I could have stayed awake for an, an hour. Um, but you know who just said that? Peter. Peter had just said that. Peter said, I'm not going to deny you. I'm going to be there. Nothing's going to stop me from following you. And Peter wasn't. Peter was asleep too, just like all the other disciples. The truth is, we're like Peter. We are weak-willed. We fail our Savior so often. And I want to move into application now. If you could go, go to the next slide. So um, four, four points of application here. First is recognize your weakness. Don't, don't be like Peter who says, I'm not going to fall away. The fact is you're weak-willed just like Peter is. You do, you have, and you will fail Jesus. Recognize that you need help. Not just a little nudge, not like, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm really trying here. I'm trying to be a good parent. I'm trying to be a good spouse. Can you just give me a little nudge, you know? Um, no, we need salvation. We are broken. We need a Savior. But that leads us to the next point. Take comfort. There is hope. In our brokenness, Jesus, he is able to provide that salvation. He understands that you are weak. And that is why he went to the cross. Jesus came to save sinners, the really weak ones who fall asleep. As you see yourself in the sleeping disciples, remember that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. That's, that's, the, that's the greatest comfort that we can have. But there's also comfort, I think, 
um, just for those who are in their own sadness, in their own distress. Maybe, maybe right now you are going through a time of sadness. Maybe there's a distress, something that you just um, feel like nobody in the world understands. Well, Jesus understands. He has suffered greater than any of us could have suffered. He understands. He gets you. Take comfort in that. Thirdly, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Watch and pray. How, how, how do you handle suffering and sadness or temptation? Do you give in to hopelessness? Do you maybe pray once and then you're like, okay, well, it didn't work. I'm just going to continue on, fall to this temptation. Or do you watch and pray over and over again? Jesus did. Jesus prayed more than once. And it wasn't like Jesus after that, because in a different account, we see after the, after the second time that he, he prays, an angel, come, angel comes and ministers to him. But he's still in turmoil. He goes back and he prays a third time. And so I think one thing that, that we can learn from this is just the importance of persistent prayer when we're in temptation. And then finally, submit to the Father's will. Say, not my will, but yours be done. Well, what does this mean? What does it mean to submit to the Father's will? Well, it means recognizing that God is sovereign. It means recognizing that he is in control of everything. And that doesn't really change depending on how I feel. He is the one who made this world and is in charge. And the way that we submit is we say, God, I'm going to put myself under your authority. You are in control. What you want is what I want. No matter how hard that might be. Because there will be times when following Christ is not easy. So what does that mean for you all? What does that mean for me? Well, it means that if you have to wake up in the middle of the night with a crying kid, and the last thing that you want to do is to show patience to your spouse or to that kid, it means you pray, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Then you go and you serve that child and you serve that spouse. It means that maybe you're at school and your friends are making some crude jokes, and you really are feeling kind of drawn to laugh with them. And you realize that, no, that's, that's not what would honor the Lord. You say, no, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. And you stand strong. Maybe that means that if you're hanging out with, with friends and you see a stranger that's kind of by himself, you know Jesus loves the stranger, you know that you would prefer to talk to your friends you're feeling convicted about it, it means that you say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. And you go and you love that person. It means that if you're having your time in the word and you're convicted by something that you're reading and your mind immediately starts pulling up walls. Like, oh, no, no that, that doesn't apply to me. Um, maybe it was, maybe you give a reason of that was just the context back then or that, that applies to somebody else. It means saying, no, no. I'm going to say no to the flesh, and I'm going to say, Lord, I want to submit to your will. If this is something that I need to work on, then yes, Lord, your will be done. And there's, there's a lot more that we could look at. There's a hundred different examples. Each one of you, myself included, 
are going to go through life and have situation after situation where our will is going to want to do one thing, and we're going to know that that will is not in line with the Father. We have a choice. Are we going to give in to that temptation or not? Are we going to pray, Lord, not my will, but yours be done? Maybe you say, well, I do that. I pray, Lord, help me. I don't, I don't, I don't want to do that thing. Well, I'd encourage you, keep praying. Keep going back to the Father. Keep asking him for help. Keep submitting to him. So in closing, I want to review the main point. Jesus' will, submitted to the Father's will, brings hope to the weak-willed and calls us to wake up. Jesus went through this season of this time in the garden of great distress and he was victorious over that temptation as he submitted himself to the Father. And that brings hope to us. It brings hope of salvation. It brings hope in, in our sorrows. And it calls us to wake up. It calls us to take action. It calls us to put our will under him. So it enc- encourage us all to watch, pray, submit. Watch, pray, submit. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the way that you've used it in my life, the way that you have humbled me, as I've seen just the, the great love that you suffered alone, all by yourself. Your father was going to ban you on the cross. Your friends were not there for you. And Lord, you loved us that much that you would do that. Lord, I pray that we would come to you in our weakness that we would come with hope, with joy, knowing that you have worked the victory. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.